Hey everyone, and welcome back to Creative Consumption. I'm Daniel Schwartzberg, host of the show. I hope everyone had a great week and are all doing well. Uh, hope you all enjoyed last week's episode with Abel. If you haven't gotten a chance to listen to it, uh, definitely go ahead and listen to that. It's right in the feed before this episode. Um, and as always, if with this episode that you're about to listen to or any of the previous episodes, if you got feedback you want to send us, you can always email that to feedback at creativeconsumptionpodcast.com. You can also visit our website, which is creativeconsumptionpodcast.com. You can send us a note right there. And if you want to see some of the posts we're doing, uh, you can follow us on social media. We are at Creative Consumption Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And then we are underscore create consume on Twitter. And I want to put a plug in for this because Nathan, who is our social media manager, he has started these really cool things, Creative Cat Wednesdays. Uh, we have a couple cats in our family, so Nathan's featuring some pictures of them every Wednesday, and we want to open it up to you guys. If you have a cat or any sort of lovely pet that you uh, is part of your family and that you love to have, go ahead and send us a photo, and we would love to feature those on our Wednesday posts. So yeah, definitely go ahead and you can send those also to feedback at creativeconsumptionpodcast.com. All right, so for today's interview, it is with Jacob Tischler. Now, Jacob Tischler is, he's an actor. He has worked in national tours at numerous regional houses. He's also a writer. He's produced several musicals. He has uh, collaborated with lots of fantastic people in the writing world. Uh, this past spring, Jacob just started the, well, he started Starter, which is a social justice bakery. And that's been an endeavor of his that you'll hear him talk about in this interview. And that's also really cool to have watched it grow. And most recently, uh, Jacob actually just started his MFA in screenwriting with USC. This conversation with Jacob was a lot of fun. It's really cool to hear him talk about how the multiple pursuits he has are all additive rather than being kind of one and then replace the other. Um, and also how the things he does for enjoyment vary depending upon what he's working on creatively at the time, which was really fun. His energy is just, it, it abounds. And that really just by itself inspires me to keep finding more ways to, to contribute, to do more. Um, so yeah, I hope you guys enjoy this interview. Jacob Tischler, thank you very much for, for coming on the show. Thanks. It's very strange to hear all of those things out in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I think that that is something that I hear from a lot of people when they hear everything laid out. Um, yeah. I think yours in particular, though, and I'm, I know that I'm making a very broad claim here, but I'm going to put a stake in the ground and say that I think that yours in the best way might be like the most wonderfully eccentric and broad ranging <laughs> like variety of of background activities and of passions that I have yet to run across, which I think is awesome. Well, I guess that's all I can hope for then. The obvious punchline to that very very impressive resume is is when you sleep right but i really am interested in hearing how how each of those individual aspects of yourself fits into your both your day-to-day -day routine but also your routine like in general in life and those kind of things um and one of the first questions i always like to start with with people is right now if you're introducing yourself to somebody which of those kind of titles or which of those passions that you do do you lead with oh that's a great question i guess right now i need to say that i'm a grad student and a baker and that's just i mean that is as circumstantial as it can be right now um 
and started and will continue life as an actor. Um, and then you just, you know, given the life as an actor thing, you, you try and do whatever says yes the most. Um, unfortunately, COVID happened. I don't know if you've heard of it. And so now acting is a big old no. So I needed to find some other things to do. And thank goodness that this grad school application that I submitted back in November came through just last Saturday. Because um, otherwise, I don't know. I, well, I mean, otherwise, I actually had a backup plan, which is why I said it was a baker. Um, that was inspired by losing my lease in New York after living in my a brand new, wonderful apartment for two weeks and then needing to move out again. Um, oh my God, just two weeks? Two weeks. I moved in on March 1st. I moved out on March 14th. <laughs> I am very sorry both for your roommate's loss, for your loss, but the gain of the baking world, clearly. So you kind of, you were just going into your baking stuff. So that kind of developed after you left New York? That, yeah, that developed after I left New York because I, I came out to Vermont um, for financial purposes. I didn't want to be paying money for um, an apartment that I was going to be rather uncomfortable living in while you know, the virus raged around the city and while all of our theaters were shut down. So I came to the place that would give me the most comfort here in Vermont. Then the Black Lives Matter movement took off and launched me into a selfish depression of my own because I couldn't contribute in any meaningful way because I was all the way up in, you know, Vermont. Um, seeing all my friends back in New York posting about how they're getting active and how they're going out and protesting and also having my dad on the front line. It just seemed like a it was a challenge for me to figure out a way to support the movement in a safe fashion and also in a selfless fashion. Um, and then a friend recommended that I start baking for social justice. And I don't think anything has ever clicked so fast for me. Uh, I branded it probably that day and called it Starter. Uh, which is obviously a double entendre on um, something that you use to make bread and something that you use to make change. I've contacted my friend Taryn Kazi, who's a designer in Los Angeles. She threw together a rough SketchUp, and then we launched a GoFundMe campaign uh, benefiting the ACLU of Vermont and raised just under 200% of our initial goal in less than 24 hours. And that's how that starts. So, like, I don't know, when you go when you go to audition after audition after audition after audition, just, I would say hear no after no after no, but the point in fact, you don't hear anything after don't hear anything after don't hear anything. The amount of yes that accompanied the um, bakery was a stark contrast to everything that I had done before. So I decided to um, buckle down and get to work on that. And so far we've raised, we're like in our fifth or sixth week, we're on our sixth initiative right now. And we've raised over $7,000 total. That's really great. What's the current initiative you guys are working on? Uh, the current initiative is for the Peace and Justice Center of Vermont. And it's the first initiative that I'm actually not attached to uh, because when I got into grad school, I needed to, I sort of felt like I needed to make a decision about whether or not to continue Starter. And the beautiful thing about it is that I love it so much. I just love it. It feels important. 
I enjoy baking. I enjoy embracing the community that supports this cause. Um, and the idea of letting it go just because I need to go to grad school kind of made me sad. So I talked to some people who had already, I was already in contact with who were already very supportive, one of whom had already been a guest baker and did my very best to convince them that they should try, just try to do an initiative on their own and see how well they do. So that's Devin O'Brien, senior food editor at Eating Well, and her friend and previous employee, Aaron McGuire. Uh, Devin is a gluten-free specialist who has, I kid you not, one of the best gluten-free sourdough recipes that is out there that she created herself. And I'm not just pumping it up because my organization is promoting <laughs> it. It's actually that good. And Erin um, is a vegan specialist. So I'm full gluten. Devin is gluten-free. And Erin has a vegan kitchen. We have three completely unique kitchens represented under one organization right now. Trying to get as many people involved as possible. That's amazing. That's so cool. Yeah. And they've, they've already surpassed 25% of their $1,000 goal today. Wow. Awesome. Well, we'll make sure we put a link in the show notes as well so that people can uh, see that and hopefully they can also contribute um, and taste some delicious gluten-free or gluten-full uh, sourdough loaves. That would be lovely. How was it to start a project like that where you were having to oversee so many components of it, not just the baking? Because I heard you say you love the baking, but also it sounds like organizing the initiatives and the kind of back-end logistics. Was that was that something new as well? And was figuring that out a little bit different? Um, it's always a learning curve. I mean, I've never run a bakery before. It's very strange having a meeting with my two bakers because they are, they are pros. Like, pros. Like, they work in kitchens. They've worked in kitchens their entire careers. I've worked in theaters my entire careers. So I don't really know why they trust me, but apparently they do. The good news is I don't feel limited by the structure that I've created. Um, I think that's the biggest thing is that, uh, you know, I'm not a registered LLC yet. I'm not a registered nonprofit yet. All I'm doing is baking goods and selling them. No, I'm not even selling them. We're, the words that we use are we are um, we're rewarding donations because the most that we've ever taken out of the donations to reimburse ourselves and support ourselves is uh, 35%. The rest of that money goes directly to the organization that we're supporting. And we budget enough so that they get the full percentage that they're entitled to and we take the hit off the processing fees and uh, the taxes it's it's it is definitely a little too charitable it's not sustainable um, which is why we're looking to create an LLC going forward and find something that you know in order to support this movement we need to be able to support ourselves um, and it was a that was a very difficult concept for me to wrap my head around because at the root of it, I want to be doing something selfless and creating change. But the fact of the matter is that you know I, my unemployment's going to run out sometime, and my grads my grad loans are going to kick into effect shortly. Um, so I might as well help myself in my attempt to help others. That sounds very logical. 
Absolutely. And I'm actually, you might be interested in this as well. I'm working with an organization called SCORE. Have you heard of SCORE? I have not. Please tell me more. Ah, what's it called? It's the Something Core of Retired Executives. And I forget what the S is. Do you want me to look it up? That would be lovely. Service Core of Retired Executives? That's the one. So this is an this is an entirely volunteer organization that has a minimal association with the, uh, the Small Business Association, but it's just a large network of retired executives who have business building experience. And you apply to, to them, they put you in touch with a mentor who takes you through the necessary steps to turn your idea into a business. And they take you through business plans and models and they ask you what kind of business you're going to be. And they make you think about your audience targets and your overhead and your product and your audience demographics, who's gonna like the product more than somebody else. It's extremely thorough and they've been really, really wonderful. And the entire service is, um, they don't like to say free because that denotes a little lesser quality, but it's paid for with taxes. So it is liberally available to those who seek that kind of support. Well, diplomatically phrased there. Thank you. you. Have you guys gotten in touch with them? Have you kind of gotten partnered up with somebody? Yeah, I've had three meetings with them. Again, it's just part of this weird conversation is that this very nonprofit-esque venture that we have is probably going to wind up being filed as a for-profit venture um, because that allows us, we need to go through many less hoops and I trust myself to deal with the finances and disperse them to the organizations we're supporting. Um, it's just putting that title of for-profit out there is a very odd thing. And also, grad school puts a wrench in everything because now the idea of turning that into an LLC, frankly, terrifies me, whereas before, that was the plan, is create an LLC, start the business, grow the business as fast as possible before theaters kick back in so that I have something to go back to when I'm not on contract. Now I have to do grad school instead. Where's the trepidation stemming from when it comes to grad school? Is it that you won't be able to grow it quick enough to then have it as another pursuit once you're done with grad school? Or is it that pursuing writing and that that opportunity might engage you creatively in other ways? Like, where do you see the stopgap when it comes to grad school and starter? I guess it's just that I was so gung-ho about it. Um, I was, you know, I was 100 percent. I had taken my class on building a brick oven. That was a healthy investment from my pocket. Um, I was about to start raising funds for the brick oven that I was going to build so that I would have a facility right here on my parents' property. And now I've got just a, a hundred degree difference, a hundred percent difference in where my energy has to be focused right now. So you're catching me in a vulnerable spot where I'm sort of sitting between these two entities. In terms of my personal priorities, I know that grad school is the way to go for a sustainable lifestyle. But I just, I, as I think I said before, I like starters so much and I don't want to see it end because my efforts are going into grad school. So uh, the trepidation is how do you balance the effort that goes into each entity both of which 
are very important to me, one of which has a much more defined payout and a much more substantial financial hold to be dug into. Well, it's, it, I mean, it, this is a bigger question, so it goes beyond grad school and starter, but all of your incredible experiences from since you were very young up until this point, do you see those things like having done a, a statewide tour of in a youth circus, having kind of having studied acting in college and then having had a, a successful acting career going around the country and um, and in regional theaters? When you kind of jump into a new pursuit, do you see each of those new pursuits as additive, like kind of like juggling so many balls? I guess to use a circus metaphor, right? Is it that yeah. you just add a ball to the juggling stuff, or is it like I gotta stick with only juggling three balls, and if I'm gonna add something in, I've got to take something out? Um, I would say it's definitely the former. For better or for worse, you kind of get stretched thin after that, but I'm not a compartmentalized thinker in that way, and that's definitely because of my circus training. Like if the coach says, if the director says that you need to learn how to do a three-quarter flip onto your belly, then you learn a three-quarter flip onto your belly. No questions asked. The only way that circus people do what they do is by taking an astonishing number of risks. And heaven knows that I am. I have not taken nearly as many risks as some of my colleagues from Circus Smirkus have, um, but that's sort of an ingrained trait from the circus world. Is you, you just kind of say, "Well, fuck it," and go, and that's what you do. And especially during COVID, I mean, none of this stuff would have been able to happen had I been under regular circumstances. I know how I operate in the regular industry, and that's usually um, in a burnout sort of way, wondering when my next gig is going to come and doing everything in my power to to rally for that. But the social distancing, the quarantining has given me the energy to absolutely engage fully with all of the different endeavors that I engage with. So that's a, it's a weird it's a very lopsided gift, to be honest. Yeah. And um, because of my circus upbringing, because of the varied amounts of experience that I've had and in, in and around performance and around the country and just going all over the place, it does feel in a very strange way comfortable to be making all of these quick transitions in a very condensed amount of time. It's uncomfortable, but it's it's familiar. <laughs> it sounds like you don't leave things behind necessarily you keep bringing them forward with you and you say oh i can also add this on right everything informs everything and if it's, it's like acting if you deny all of your prior experiences then you're gonna end up being a total automaton robot on stage and people are gonna be like why is he frowning so much <laughs> <laughs> um but if you bring all of your experience to the table as an actor um and you allow yourself to be up there, you allow yourself to be open and flexible, that's when people key in. And one of my teachers in New York, who's a film guru, he was talking about the presence of now. You don't go to a Bruno Mars concert 
to watch him sing. You go to the Bruno Mars concert to be in his presence in that immediate moment when he's screaming his face off because that guy can do that. That that is worth the price of admission right there. Huh. I've never heard that. The presence of now. That's really cool. The presence of now. It's a good one. Was there wasn't there like there was a movie like The Spectacular Now or something like that? I don't know. Fantastic Mr. Fox. Also a great movie. Great film. Great film. George Clooney's finest role. It's George Clooney indeed. It is George Clooney and Meryl Streep. And and like a yeah, a crap ton of other horribly famous people. Terrifically famous people that are portrayed by uh by clay clay farm animals. Yeah. To anyone watching, listening, if you haven't seen this movie, just do yourself a favor. You have the time. We know you have the time. Sponsored by George Clooney and Wes Anderson. <laughs> but actually, that does kind of that that does bring me to something that I get curious about, which is going back, jumping back, like um, to young young child Jacob Tischler. Um, in I don't actually, did you grow up in Vermont? Is that where you grew up? Yes. Can't say I was born here, but I was definitely raised here. What kind of stuff when you're growing up in Vermont are you watching that kind of puts you on this path of eventually doing so many things, but the path of circus, of performing? What were the things that were inspiring you then? Um, well, circus was inherent here in Vermont. I mean, I was, I've been attending the Circus Mercus show since I was four years old. Oh, wow. And I haven't missed a show since. Um, truly. I've gone back, even since I graduated from the circus in 2009, I've gone back every single year to catch the show, and it always just blows me away what they're able to create. Um, and it, yeah, it's incredible. It uses me. It brings me back to that place where, not to sound incredibly trite and cliche, but anything is possible, because that's what you got to believe if you're in the circus. And then I can take that experience with me and throw myself into, you know, moving to a different town in a different state for the fifth time in a year and say to myself, oh, this is actually okay and even possibly necessary. Do you want to give your quick elevator pitch and describe what Smirkus is? Oh, absolutely. Circus Smirkus is a, it's the U.S.'s only traveling youth circus. So all of the performers are 10 to 18, but that is not a knock against their talent. They are to this day, and I say this every time, it always annoys the people that I say it to, but they are the most professional ensemble that I've ever worked with, hands down. Um, we do the show, we clean the tent, we pack the tent, we uh, do homestays at people's, strange people's houses and for the privilege of coming back to the tent every day and doing at least two shows. Um, very rarely do we ever do one show a day. We're from all over the world. I toured with people from San Francisco and Mongolia and Colombia and France. And many of these individuals go on to have careers in the circus. And many of these individuals go on to become doctors or actors or, you know, what, whatever the heck you want to be, app developers. Um, it only happens during the summer because they don't want it to conflict with uh, your school. Um, but they were the most formative summers of my entire, I would say, professional and social life. Full disclosure, that is where you, you and I met, uh, Tischler and I. Sure is. Because because one thing that Circus Mercus does is they, as they travel around, they 
um, have homestays for the performers, and we were very, very lucky that we got we got you. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it continues to be one of my favorite things to see um, during the summer because, like you said, the creativity on display and the teamwork, right? That kind of yeah, all hands on deck. You you have to be looking out for each other, and if you're not looking out for each other, someone gets hurt. So it's it's one of the best ways to feel very tired and very good about yourself at the same time. <laughs> like you said, obviously the people in Smirkus can go on to do numerous things. And for you, it ended up being acting in college. When did, when did that become the decision that that was the focus that you wanted to take? Well, I just was never as talented as the other people in the circus. Oh, so don't say it, made, that. <laughs> it made a lot of sense for me to go the acting route instead of the skills route. I never had a professional gig until um, while I was in college and I did a comedy of errors on Martha's Vineyard in an outdoor amphitheater for like 20 people a night, which was still to this day one of the best experiences of my life. But Circus Smirkus, I, I was always a clown. I was the most comfortable as a person uh, being in the ring and not needing to apologize for myself and just making a goddamn fool of myself whenever I went out there. Uh, that was my that was my comfy place. Um, and uh, I didn't really want to sacrifice that going forward. I didn't have anything else that I was that passionate about. I was terrible at math. So, so by process of elimination, it was either math or acting and y- you had a clear choice. I had I didn't have a choice at all, man. <laughs> I had to do <laughs> there you go. And I got, I honestly just got super lucky. I auditioned for four schools. I didn't get into any of them except the one that I got into, which was Carnegie Mellon. That was only after I got off their wait list. Um, so waitlisted twice, waitlisted at Carnegie Mellon, waitlisted at USC. So got in at the end. Don't take that for granted either goes to show you that you can never count yourself out ever so hearing i mean hearing you talk about circus jumping back to smirkus for a second i mean like you said it's all hands on deck you have to be watching out you have to be willing to jump in and help somebody at a moment's notice so that they stay safe so that the show keeps going is that another reason why you think that kind of dipping your fingers in so many different areas of interest is something that you like doing where it's that additive mindset instead of like i can only do so much at once Oh, sure. The year after I graduated, we unfortunately had to let go of our stage management intern. And I have no stage management experience whatsoever. But I was the first pick, so I did the stage management stuff. And then we went down on somebody who was doing the dynamic rigging, which is when you clip into one of the rigging wires and you need to climb up and down the king poles of the tent, the giant poles supporting the tent, in order to lift somebody 30 feet in the air. They didn't have somebody for that, so I did that too. You don't question it. You just say, all right, let's rehearse it. Let's do it. Do I sort of understand this? Yes. Okay, go. With Starter, I sort of understand marketing myself, so I was able to put the little videos together that promoted it. I had run a GoFundMe for uh, my Fringe show that I had put on in 2012, so I was familiar with that as well. And I was sort of familiar with my sourdough baking. There's no way that I can call myself a professional in that capacity still. But yeah, I was just taking all these little resources that I had some sort of understanding of 
and flinging them together and seeing what came out the other end. So when you got to school, right, and you were you were just mainly focusing on acting, how did that feel to kind of move into more, I mean, an acting major has different facets to it, but to have more of a strict focus on something, was that something you were comfortable with? Did that feel like it fit in with what you were expecting? So the first year that I was there and the first year that I actually got to take this passion of mine seriously in an educational setting was one of the craziest experiences of my life just because I had no idea how vast this field really was in terms of theory, in terms of technique, in terms of the people that I was meeting, different walks of life that people were coming from. Um, I was definitely the only person who had ever been in the circus, but I was far and away the least experienced actor there. And it was awesome just plunging into the deep end of not knowing what this craft actually is, but knowing that I really, really like it. And that's always something that I can come back to. My formal education ended in 2013 when I graduated, but I've taken class with Scott Freeman, the Scott Freeman studio in the city. I always feel inspired and motivated when I leave his class. I always feel like I'm learning something more. Um, take Bob Krakauer's film class in the city for on-camera work. And I mean, that's just, that is nuts. So I think that's actually, now that I'm talking about it, one of the things that propels me to do all these varied things is the process of discovery and discovering your potential is absolutely something that keeps pushing me forward. I mean, I case in point, right now I'm poking the fire in the earth oven that I built in my backyard so that I can cook my sourdough pizza. <laughs> this is a live feed right here. You could start one of your own like 24-hour Netflix channels and it's just it's just the earth fire. That sounds terrible. That God. does sound terrible. <laughs> it sounds like something that uh, would, would maybe some people would enjoy, but you would not be having a fun time at all. I don't think I'd be very happy. I... I do enjoy, despite my performative nature, I consider myself a classic introvert who greatly enjoys his privacy. Well, then, well, uh, that, that, that's a good thing to know. We won't, we'll rescind our pitch from Netflix. Sorry, Netflix, you can't have this one. Wait, wait, we haven't talked about, whoa, 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 whoa. We haven't talked about billing. Are you kidding me? Never mind. Netflix is still in the talks. Yeah, Please, thanks. read Hastings. Call, call Tishley. <laughs> so... You graduate Carnegie, right? You've got circus credits. You've got performing credits. At this point, you've done, like you were saying, you've composed shows, you've written shows, you've got kind of this incredible um, breadth of things you've done. And at this point, what are, like, now, like coming forward to now when you've done, like, so many different things in the world of performing, but also in the world of creating things and writing your own material, what are the things that are inspiring you now? Like, what do you seek out to inspire you? Great question, Daniel. Um, good shit. There we go. Thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, come back next time. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, like, what kinds? God, anything that makes me happy and compelled. And I feel like if I don't, if it doesn't make me happy or compelled, then it's not worth my salt. Um, period. I don't want to spend time watching something that I'm only half invested in. I want to spend time watching something that I'm wholly invested in, especially now that I'm a screenwriter. I want to consume things that inform my process. 
Uh, I've, I've started watching television shows in a different way. I'm now noticing what the three-act structure looks like in a Parks and Rec episode. I'm looking at uh, or imagining what the stage directions, the, the action lines would look like in a Better Call Saul episode. Um, you start watching things with a much more critical eye, which sounds honestly pretty pedantic and boring on the outset, but uh, it, it's for me, it's opening up a new lens into a craft that everyone is familiar with, but it's like acting. Everyone's familiar with it. Everyone can tell you what is good acting, what is bad acting. Not everybody can tell you why. And now I'm sort of sidling into that place where I can either listen to a podcast or watch a television show and say from the technical point, oh, that's why they're doing really great work right now. Or vice versa. I've become unfortunately critical. I don't think I'm alone in that. There are a lot of critics out there. But um, celebrating, finding things to celebrate has become a lot more enjoyable for me. And when, when something is really good and when something is inspiring, that becomes a big moment. Even if it's something as stupid as like a knight's tale, which to this day I find very compelling and very funny and very engaging. I think Heath Ledger did a phenomenal job in that and so did uh paul bettany it's a great cast it the cast is nuts but i I think it's it's i think it's great storytelling from start to finish and people poo-poo it because it's like well how could they have modern music in ancient times and then i say well you know what lynn just did it again and then they're going to do 1776 with an all-female cast so there you go right it's and our good friend Grace Stockdale from the New London Barn Playhouse is going to be making her Broadway debut in that. Did not know that, but plug for Grace Stockfield. There we go. There you go. So now what, what did we have before? We had... We, we plugged Circus Smirkus. We've plugged Grace Stockdale. Circus Smirkus. Now we've got Knight's Tale. We've plugged New London Barn Playhouse, which is... That's the womb you were birthed from. Yes, Sasha, Kuftinets, that, that is not you. It is New London Barn Playhouse. Yeah, I was birthed from it, too. We're brothers. We are We are Jewish. L'chaim. L'chaim. There we go. Thank you. I was, I was going to ask if you'd been baking any matzah, but... Um, I have. I did. I baked matzah. Order from starters. You can get your matzah. Get it in time. Yeah. It was really good. It's really easy. Oh, it's really easy. No, you don't get your matzo from me. Make it yourself. It's got like three ingredients in it. It's so easy to make. Tell us the ingredients right now. Go. Uh, flour, olive oil, and salt. I literally think that's all you need. That's that's all you need, folks. <laughs> all you need is love, flour, olive oil, and salt. And maybe a pizza stone if you're feeling fancy. Ooh, okay. All right. Preheat that oven to 400. Make sure you roll them out flat. Poke some holes in it using a fork. And you're good to go. You're basically Moses. Hey, everyone. Just taking a brief break from the episode to remind you guys about the show notes. Uh, If you do have a chance to check those out, we have our links and those resources for learning more about anti-racism and about arts equity. In particular, the shout out I want to make this week is something you've already heard, which is Starter, a social justice bakery. Like you've already heard Tischler talk about, Starter has 
this really cool mission and the way it works with its initiatives is something that we can support and get some delicious baked goods in the process. So most recently for their initiative number six, Starter was raising funds for the Peace and Justice Center of Vermont, which has been offering resources and education about social justice since 1979 and has continued to do that, especially during this time of uh, renewed uh, activism and calls for racial justice. So go ahead, support these causes and like Jacob talked about, you get some pretty, pretty darn delicious stuff in the process. So thank you guys and back to the show. Okay, so you said that you're watching TV shows differently now, right? Like you said, you're having a more critical eye, but maybe because of the critical eye, also getting commensurately more enjoyment out of them because you know what to appreciate and you know what you're looking for. But hearing you say you're watching TV shows differently now makes me think you used to watch them in a certain way that maybe you weren't paying attention to those things. And so I'm, I'm wondering what has taken TV's place then as something that you can watch without thinking about it as critically? Or has it been something where you've decided I kind of want to spend more of my time watching things with this critical and academic eye and fewer things just for enjoyment? Oh, yeah. It's hard to let go of the critical and academic eye. I wish I could say otherwise because the ability to just sit back and be entertained is now a skill. Um, I think some people who move through this industry would agree with me that it's it takes some it takes a moment to just say, well, whatever, I'm just going to be entertained and not try to be a student when you sit down in the theater. Um, I think, just speaking honestly, like the most successful that I've been in doing that recently was reading all of the Harry Potter books during quarantine. I <laughs> They were exquisite. And I think that my student eye turned on a couple times, but mostly I was just really, really excited about all of the crazy stuff that was happening to Harry and Ron and Hermione. Was this your first time rereading them since you'd read them the first time? That is my, yep, that's exactly right. And I did them all in like five weeks. It was truly an exquisite experience. That's awesome. That's great. And like hot takes, what was your takeaway from the whole series? Oh boy, the devil's in the details. Um, yeah. J.K. Rowling. And I know that there's some there's some stuff going on right there. That is true. I think to, to many people right now, it is she who must not be named. Yep, she must not be named. And it makes me sad that J.K. Rowling doesn't have an open mind, but I've got to give credit where credit is due. She says some simple things that create incredible images in your head and engage and intimidate and induce wonder. And that is a skill that I would love to have one day. Oh, well, you already have induced wonder in many people. Um, and I think that hopefully with this screenwriting program, you'll have the chance to do that with many, many, many more people. I hope so, too. So books, I guess, that could be maybe something that you're, you have been finding more enjoyment in than necessarily academic kind of relief, would you say? Yes, definitely. And also, if you, if, you binge, if you binge for long enough, you forget that you're actually watching something. Parks and Rec, we just did the entire series, and that was... Oh, good for you. That was a great time as well. Are you of that? Because I know for me personally, I will say I am definitely of that 30 Rock, Parks and Rec, like, um, 
ilk where like those were shows that were very formative to me when it came to sitcoms and things? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm more I'm much more on the 30 Rock, 30 Rock Parks and Rec office train than I am the Friends train. One other thing that I do love to talk to people about and get to hear their thoughts on and I think you you're somebody who I'm very interested in how this factors into your life because it seems like something that you're able to make use of in a very creative and productive way is social media. I feel like it's this it's this source of consumption that everyone interacts with whether that's personally whether that's secondhand whether that's like by just enjoying it by looking at it or whether that's creating something and i guess i'll just lay it out broadly how does social media play into your life into the things that you're passionate about i would say it's a love-hate relationship there's a whole lot about it that i just really friggin hate uh this superficial notions and self-obsession that seems to propagate uh, the the facades that people put up that indicate that they are happy when in fact very few people who are on social media are happy because they're getting images of people living their dreams and like it or not they're comparing their progress to those people and I'm totally one of them like I saw a 23 year old post about how she's living her life on tour right now and it made me very upset very quickly because I want to be that 23 year old at that echelon of success and I'm not going to be 23 ever again but on the flip side of all the negative all the negative aspects of social media is what I use social media the way I would like to see other people use social media um, which is to at best put forward their unique take on something on anything um i did do TikTok for a little bit i hated every moment of it i just couldn't i could not take it the the idea of just jumping on a trend and hoping for the best and the complete insensibility of it all like the only person that i remember from my TikTok days is kevin james because he had a phenomenal channel doing really inventive, creative stuff. And uh, I, I'm, I don't know, I get a little uncomfortable talking about what I do with social media because I think a lot of it to me is very successful and I really love the brand that I've established. And then also at the end of the day, I have 2,400 followers, which if you're trying to be a social media presence, that's not a lot of people. There are however many billion people in the world, and I have a, a very small percentage of that. And um, it's a little difficult to walk the line of whether you're putting content out there for affirmation or whether you're putting content out there because it makes you feel good, it makes you feel fulfilled. And I've had a lot of conversations with my therapist and with my family about doing Instagram in a way that is primarily fulfilling and not about affirmation and that's not to say that i absolutely get giddy when one of my videos hits 200 likes that's a really cool moment for me but the process of creating something creating my short little sketches and the feedback that i get especially from the get and help series the number of people who have reached out 
and said, hey, thank you for talking about that so openly on Instagram. It helped me seek help myself. That's not inconsequential to me at all. And I am very grateful that I gave myself the opportunity to explore that on a platform that is not necessarily used to explore you know, those deeper, darker themes of humanity. Would you mind just giving a quick description of what getting help was uh, or what it is and what, what you decided to make? Yeah. Um, so living with your parents as a 29-year-old is not necessarily the easiest thing. And I became rather, uh, shall we say, irritable to the point where my parents were gently insinuating that it might be time to seek a little extra help um, in addition to my regularly scheduled uh, therapy appointments, which are every Friday at 10 a.m. So I decided that in lieu of quarantine and social distancing and being unemployed, it would be a useful thing to create a series that didn't um, reflect exactly my experience getting psychiatric help, but that did parallel my experience getting psychiatric help. So it starts off, uh, it's, it's a continuation of my self v self series, and I've created sort of an alter ego number two character where there are two of me that pop up on screen. And in very technical terms, he's my subconscious, but I don't think anybody knows that, and I don't try to play into that at all. Um, he is his own character. And over the course of getting help, he confronts me about not being able to support me emotionally. Uh, we seek a psychiatrist. We are prescribed uh, medicine by said psychiatrist. We go on the medicine and we see what happens. And my subconscious goes on a little loop-de-doop. And eventually we resolve um, and the truth is that, you know, we still have episodes of feeling bad. Emotions don't just go away as if, uh, as if someone swish and flicked them away, shall we say. I like the reference. Thank you. Um, but on the whole, the world seems a lot easier after going on my uh, prescription of fluoxetine. And I really wanted to reflect that in my... Um, series and encourage people because even if even if you get psychiatric help and your fluoxetine does not have the desired effect there is an innate placebo effect of of taking steps for your well-being that is incredibly important if you feel like you are putting yourself first and saying yes to your own health that's a huge step for many people, a huge step in the right direction. Do you think making a project that has both so much personal resonance and has a lot of meaning to you in the people it reaches, did that help improve your ambivalence towards social media when you saw that that was able to have such a positive effect? Not really. <laughs> um, it, I, I'm, I mean, no, not really. And improved my ambivalence about myself and that I wasn't just creating mindless content. That makes me sound very judgmental of the rest of the content world. But like, what are we supposed to do, dude? The content that is promoted is, I mean, it's viral for a reason. And unfortunately, like when I 
get onto my Instagram feed, I just tend to see a whole lot of skin. It's like I can't escape the skin. And I don't, I don't want that. I want people to be talking and debating and chatting and not posting in cliches, but that seems cliches seem to be currency up there. So no, I, I feel like I made like a good ripple for a couple people in a very meaningful way. But my, my feelings towards social media remain fairly constant. Social media is at its heart a game. And whether we like it or not, we stake ourselves and our emotional capacities in that game. And it's always a game that you'll be losing because someone will always be more successful than you. And I think that no one is prepared for that kind of thing, unless they're on social media, like literally middle-aged moms who are on social media just to follow the people that they see at the New London Barn Playhouse. Those are the people that have it made. They're simply on there for enjoyment. Have you ever considered leaving social media or do you do you get concerned that there might be a professional disadvantage to not being on the platforms? Yeah, I have left social media. I've oh, really? I've taken um, months off at a time. Oh my god, dude, it's fantastic! It's like it's like a really hot day, and then you dip in a pond and you feel great, and then you get back out of the pond and you start to feel like not as good, but a little bit better. Getting off social media is a really great idea, and I would recommend it to everybody. Period. The only problem is and I wasn't aware of this when I did it the first time, is that people judge you for taking a break off social media. I won't. I will never judge you for taking a break from social media. But there are people out there who say, oh, that's a weird move. It's like a really dramatic move. I think it's incredibly necessary. And the only reason why I haven't taken a break from social media in, the recent, in my recent past is because I feel like I have been making a little difference for some people. So that's why I stay on. Do you think it's hard also that, I mean, because Starter has its page on Facebook, right? And it has yeah. kind of, uh, that's, it's, it seems like that and its Instagram presence is mainly where people interact with it, which I see as being a very positive thing that it's able to provide that platform. But was that a tough choice to make to, to decide to make Facebook the primary platform, even though you, you kind of may see social media as having these very negative effects potentially? Hmm. Now you you slap your little gotcha sticker on me because you know honestly, I mean, Facebook was the clear answer to at least regarding what I was trying to do with this thing. Yeah. Um, I am most comfortable operating through social media, and my audience is through social media. Therefore, the best way for me to access that audience is on this platform. Um, yeah. That's a definite plus. I'll give it to you. That's a definite plus especially because I'm dirt poor right now, uh, the ability to use social media as a free marketing tool is the biggest reason why I use it at all. And because I've, because of my experience doing uh, content creation, you know, creating my little videos, marketing it was a easy fit for me as well. So that was actually much more organic than like having to make a decision about it. And that just sort of were the, the cogs falling into place. What are, what are those things called instead of like a lock? They're called like the um, the tumblers, the tumblers falling into place. The tumblers. Maybe? Wow. Great job, man. I would never have gotten there. <laughs> well, I just only because we were talking about circus earlier, you know, um, I think that you've highlighted a point that I, I think is really 
a lot of people struggle with, which is social media seems to be something that we inevitably, well, not inevitably, right? We we can make this choice to not be on there and to make it a platform where we don't participate or we don't, um, we don't even, as far as participate, we don't even kind of enjoy what people put out there. The hard part is that then we are depriving ourselves of these potentially meaningful experiences like you're putting up there, like Starter or like getting help and those things because it's amassed this uh, this momentum that is seemingly hard to stop. Um, and so to see meaningful content now, in some ways we have to also try to game, either game the... Uh, game the algorithms and try to only see meaningful things which seems to be impossible no matter how hard people try or we have to be willing to subject ourselves to things that we don't like in order to also see the things that we do yeah i totally agree with you and weirdly enough i don't know what i like on instagram except for like cute puppy videos the jacob tischler algorithm you can you can contact contact facebook and be like can you send me what my uh recommended videos are and it's 95 percent happy puppy videos i'd be pleased with that if that were the case if social media was simply a platform for sharing cute puppy videos i'd be very happy well cheers to that (laughs) thank you for taking all this time jacob i don't want to take any more of it so before we wrap up um what do you want to plug right now you've got so much going on but go for it what where people can find you or where people can find the projects that you're doing thanks First and foremost, I'm going to plug Starter because it goes beyond me right now. We've raised money for ACLU of Vermont, the Okra Foundation, the Okra Project, rather, the Loveland Foundation. Um, We raised money to get a big motorcade of uh, members of the BIPOC community on Broadway over to the March on D.C. We've raised money for the King Street Center, which is an educational organization supporting the BIPOC community in Burlington, Vermont. Um, I love this project very much, and we make very good baked goods, and we ship. So find us at startervt.org. And beyond that, if you want to see how I'm trying to not take myself seriously upon earning my MFA, you can visit my Instagram page, which is yay cub, like a lion, dot tischler. <laughs> Awesome. And we will also make sure to put links to those in the show notes. So everyone just make sure to take a look at those and you can go order some delicious gluten slash gluten-free slash vegan baked goods. Enjoy Jacob's uh, videos and uh, support some very, very important causes. So uh, Tischler, really, thank you so much for taking all this time, man. And I really appreciate you talking about all this stuff. Thank you, dude. I appreciate you. Tischler, actually, he just posted a video this past week of the Zoom orientation at USC. So it looks like things are off and running uh, with his latest venture of that MFA in screenwriting. Everyone can send him good wishes for a great first semester. As always, if you guys want to send your feedback, you can email us at feedback at creativeconsumptionpodcast.com. You can visit our website, which is creativeconsumptionpodcast.com. And go ahead and follow us on social media at Creative Consumption Podcast or on Twitter underscore Create Consume. And I'll plug again, uh, 
Creative Cat Wednesdays or insert your own pet here. So please send us some of your pet photos. We would love to feature those in our Wednesday posts. If you guys want to support the show, really just by listening, that's supporting us. So if you are enjoying the show and want to recommend it to some of your friends, that would be awesome. Or you could add a rating and review on iTunes. That's also extremely helpful. Or you can also visit our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash creative consumption. And finally, please do check out those links in the show notes. Another plug for starter, right? Please go ahead, order yourself some fantastic gluten-free or gluten-full or vegan baked goods um, and support some really important causes in the process. Uh, One final shout out to Nathan, as always, who actually celebrated a birthday this past week. Um, I'm not going to I'm not going to divulge his age, but I will remind Nathan of an inescapable fact. We're brothers. Thank you guys for listening. Stay safe and be well.